Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I'm sex educator and sexual communication coach, Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Hi, friends. On this podcast, I strive to present a wide diversity of stories, whether it's diversity of age, race, background, body type, sexual history, etc. I want to give a space for all of the complexity of the sexual experiences of people who are, were, or will be female. But there are some stories that I've been challenged to find someone who wants to record an interview. For instance, people from certain cultures or religious traditions are reticent to talk about sex at all, let alone be recorded talking about it. I want to talk with someone who's asexual, someone who lives with HIV, someone who's deaf, someone who experienced female genital mutilation and so many more, because there are so many stories. One of the stories I've been wanting to share is what it's like to have sex for someone who uses a wheelchair. Unfortunately, too often, our culture assumes that people with disabilities are just non-sexual. But it's not true. Some might be, but many have or desire active sex lives. It's one of the many things I love about the CBS comedy Mom. One of the main characters is in a wheelchair, and he has a very active sex life. I should mention that the actor who plays him does not use a wheelchair, so it's not a perfect scenario. But at least we're seeing a person in a wheelchair portrayed as a fully sexual human being. So I'm thrilled to tell you that this week's interview is with Candy, a woman who uses a wheelchair full time. She is extremely open about her experiences with disability, as well as about her romantic and sex life. Candy is a 27 year old cisgender female who describes herself as heterosexual, monogamous, single, and tall and thin. She lives with muscular dystrophy. I am so pleased to introduce Candy. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am thrilled to talk with you. Thank you. As I told you before we started recording, I've been trying to find someone who has a disability who uses a wheelchair to talk to you for a while. And you're the first person who has said yes. So, well, I'm thank honored. You. I feel. <laughs> Just to represent the entire disability community. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, that's something I want to say for people who are listening. We're going to talk about your story. And just like any other person who's on this podcast, you are not representative of 
everyone in the disability True. community. You are not like the disability community is not a monolith. Um, just like all white people are not a monolith and all gay people, etc. Totally. We all have our own stories and we all have abilities to do certain things or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, let's dive right in. Um, the first question I ask everyone is what is your first memory of sexual desire? My first memory of sexual desire was when I was in high school. I was probably in ninth grade, so 14, 15. And I remember just one day falling asleep. And I don't know, I just felt like it was normal to touch yourself down there. Mm -hmm. And so I did. I actually used to normally growing up, I would sleep with my hands in between my legs because my parents would keep the house at like zero degrees at night (laughs) and I'm very thin. And so I would have like a thousand blankets on sleeping. And so I would normally like sleep in a fetal position with my hands in between my legs. So it was natural that they were close to proximity of where the fun parts were. And so (laughs) one night I just like touched it in a certain way and I was like, Oh, whoa, that felt interesting and bizarre, but also I kind of liked it. Yeah. So then I just kept touching it more and more. And then I realized it felt really good. So I kept going. And then I'd say I ended up orgasming, Mm -hmm. climaxing. So. And you think you were around 14 at the time? Yeah, I would say so. I was also influenced by sex education in school and them talking about it as well. And um, I have an older brother, so I didn't have any older sisters or anything to really teach me that way. And I would say my parents were very conservative as well in terms of their sexual experiences. Um, my parents were very, very Christian. And so for them, it was especially my dad, it's almost patronized um, having any type talking about sexuality, talking Mm -hmm. about sex, um, anything that's provocative, the way that you dress, all of that has to be very conservative, like no showing whatsoever. Like I'm wearing a V-neck right now and he would probably not approve of that. So usually when Mm -hmm. I'm around my dad, I, I cover up for the most part. And did you feel comfortable in that conservative setting or were you feeling like you wanted to branch out and become a little rebellious? I don't think I did want to be rebellious in any way because I was conditioned to be conservative and know that, you know, my body was a temple and that I had to honor it. And I honored God when I honored my body. And to this day, I'm not very much of a very religious person, so I don't have the same conservative mindset anymore. But I will say that degree of some, I guess some degree of um, being conservative, just the way that I dress, the way that I look has always carried on with me compared to Mm -hmm. my friends and peers who really wore short shorts and had everything hanging out on the top. I'm also very flat chested, so I can't have any sort of cleavage and jumping up and down for me does nothing. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, actually, it was funny when we were in health class, it was mixed with boys and girls. And I remember the guys, they said, candy, jump. And at the time, I had no idea what that meant. So I just, you know, I jumped up and they started laughing because I did not 
gain. I didn't have a period until I was about 16. So I was a late bloomer as well. So I was very tall and very flat chested. And then around me were, I was uh, around a lot of women that were of different races. So it was a very diverse school that I went to. And so especially in the black community, they're very, very busty in the chest typically. And so I remember them just going in the circle and seeing like these very voluptuous women and they would jump and the guys would like look and then for mm. me, they would laugh. So I kind of always mm. carried that with me as well. And I didn't really realize what that meant until like a few years later when I saw, you know, social media and whatever talking about women jumping and like boobs bouncing up and down when they go running mm-hmm. and like how guys always really look at that. And I think that that actually I learned that through Juno, the movie. Uh huh. And I was like, oh, wow. Now that kind of all makes sense. You mentioned that you grew up in a really conservative home and that sex wasn't really talked about. Was your body talked about at all? Like, did you have any sense of your body as something that would be desirable to boys that, I mean, I know that I hear from a lot of people who grew up in that Christian conservative um environment that girls are taught that they have to protect boys from their own sexuality. Mm-hmm. Was that true for you? I would say my home, yes. I was raised to treat my body as a temple. And I wasn't, never talked about being sexualized in any way, shape, or form. Um, Never really talked about. My mom, I don't even remember having a conversation with me about having a period or Mm. having developing breasts or anything. I just remember the one day that I started having blood come out of my vagina and Mm -hmm. I'm like, what is this? And then I remember going to Kroger one day with my mom and I went down the tampon aisle and I just like picked up super heavy duty pads because that's all I knew that my mom had. So I picked up a batch and I was like, oh, mom, here, you probably need these, right? And then I ended up like sneaking some pads out of her oh no, out of her closet because that's where she kept them. Mm-hmm. And so I walk around like wearing a diaper because <laughs> they, <laughs> they felt like a diaper. Um, but no one, no one really, the only way I really found out about just ha- going through your period and learning all through that was really through sex ed class in middle and high school. So what kinds of sex ed did you have? It sounds like it was actually really useful for you. A hundred percent. I thought sex ed was super helpful for me. I would say my schooling definitely taught me more than anyone ever did about just how your body is transforming, what it's like when you're a teenager and developing. So the type of sex ed class that I had, obviously they they really put an emphasis on... It's almost like they... I want to say like criminalized, but they almost make it seem like sex is bad. Mm-hmm. I would say for the most part. And they show you, they scare you to death with chlamydia yeah. and gonorrhea and HIV of if you don't wear a condom, then you're going to die. Basically how it was, mm-hmm. there was no sense of love your body and know what this is like and these are the kinds of things that you may hear in school and these are the kinds of things to look out for and this is how you do certain things obviously you know we all had the bananas we all did the put a condom on the bananas we learned how to do that we all passed around tampons put them in the cup to see how they absorbed 
But obviously no one teaches you how to put on a tampon. And so I just relied on the little pictures on the side of the box and <laughs> which are terrible. Which are so bad. <laughs> Not and they're like, oh, you put a mirror down there. And I'm like, what? How can you like, you can't know. I'm just sorry. There, you yeah. just, there's too much going on down there. And so you end up just like figuring it out, really. I do remember one of the girls that I was very close with in high school around that time, you know, 10th grade, 11th grade. I remember going over to her house and I remember being on my period. And that was the first time that I saw and understood what a tampon was like and, and understand how to use it. And she was actually the one that was like, here, here's a tampon. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this. And, um, she, she dropped her pants and just showed me how to do it. And I was like, Oh wow. Okay. Oh, wow. I mean, we were best friends at the time. So it was like, yeah. it was normal. That's so great. My mom uh, got me a box of tampons and just sent me into the bathroom and, and was like, here's the picture. Here's a whole box. It's probably going to take you this many to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I remember, man, there's so many things now that we're talking about that just to like bubble up. And I remember actually, so there's um, a brand of tampon called, called OB and they're mm -hmm. not the applicators. They just have plastic wrap on them. They're the more sustainable brand without the plastic on it. But they do wrap them in a clear plastic wrapper. So it's just a clear mm -hmm. plastic wrapper. And the first time that I got one of those, someone handed it to me in school. And I just stuck the whole thing up there with the plastic wrap on it. <laughs> because no one told me you're supposed to remove the plastic wrap. So it was like, and then I walked around like all day, like this is super uncomfortable. And also I'm still bleeding, <laughs> like dripping in my pants. <laughs> Um, oh god so yeah there's just like a lot of uh funny not so great memories but you laugh at it now because you learn through that but also i mean why don't people teach you these kinds of things i don't know why don't people teach us these but things? also that why doesn't your mother question. teach you this stuff or you know why mm -hmm. i feel like it just you rely on either the sex education which i wouldn't say is awesome but it's available and then sometimes you have friends that maybe sometimes will help you out. Yeah. So at what point you, you started masturbating around 14 years old? At what point did you think this is something that I want to try out with another person? Oh, it wasn't until probably college. Oh, yeah. I didn't have sex until I was two, was two days after my 21st birthday. Mm hmm. So and was that for lack of desire? Or because you just hadn't figured out how to go about it? It was a combination of being scared, but also trying to stay pure. Mm -hmm. Because that's how I grew up. And that's what I was yeah. always told. That mm -hmm. sex before marriage is a bad thing. And that you shouldn't do it. And that you should save yourself. And so, but at that time in college, there's so much influence around you, especially in college. And I was in a sorority as well. So even more so just everyone's talking about it all the time of their, their one night stands and their hookups. And I just, I never had any of that experience. And I remember, you know, I started dating guys in college. So I was late there as well. I didn't, I didn't date anyone through high school and it was, you know, probably sophomore year of college when I really had like a real first date. And then through that, you know, I remember kissing a boy for the first time 
when I was in, actually it was senior year of high school when I had my first kiss, but nothing happened out of that. And then college was... Was it fun? No. Did you enjoy not it? Really. Oh, okay. It was very mm-hmm. scary to me because mm. again, it was like, you have to, you know, be conservative. And also, I don't know. I just, I didn't know how to do it. What was expected of me? Like, all, there's just like so much going through your mind. And also there's a lot of nerves as well. So, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, in college, that's kind of when I was like, okay, maybe I should try it with someone. But there was always this thing in the back of my mind that was, you need to wait, you need to wait, continue to wait. You're almost there. Like you're already this far, just keep waiting. And then I remember this one boy, it was junior year of college. And there was this boy that I sat next to all semester long. It was a small class. There was like 30 of us. It was an environmental science class. And it was a horrible, we sat in the back and it was (laughs) the worst class. The teacher was absolutely horrible. And so we just sat in the back, like the entire class it was an hour and a half long class as well. So it was a longer class. And we would just like either giggle, pass notes to each other, whatever. And I also really vibed with him because he had a leg brace on his left foot. And mm-hmm. so for me, I, I naturally gravitated towards him because I was like, oh, he has a disability as well. And he was also very, very cute. So <laughs> very easy on the eyes, let's just say. Um, <laughs> and I remember I, and it was the second to last week in the class and there was an opening of a brewery. And I said, come to this, meet me there. And this was, you know, 1030 at night. I didn't have his phone number or whatever. I didn't have his Facebook, none of that. I just said, you know, here's the information. Hope to see you there. I remember it was about 1 a.m. and I was getting ready to leave. And he comes in and he goes, hey, Candy, I'm sorry, but I'm finally here. Do you want to dance? And for me, I immediately said no, because this was within the time when walking was Mm. very difficult for me. Being on my feet was very exhausting. And the idea of twirling on the dance floor, I never danced um, in college just because I, I could no longer walk upstairs and I walked with a gait. I had pretty bad lordosis as well. And so the idea of dancing scared me because I knew I was going to fall. And I did. I ended up, he was like, no, 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 come on, come on. And then he like pulls me to the dance floor. We were both a little... Um, under the influence as well. And I was like, okay, fine. He pulled me onto the dance floor. And then, you know, he trolled me around and, and I fell down and we walked back to the bar and sat down. And I remember talking to him and I'm mid sentence and he just leans in and plants one on me. And I was like, oh, damn, mm-hmm. that feels good. He was a very <laughs> good kisser. So <laughs> he was Hispanic. He did that like whole bite lip thing and pull away. It was it was really nice. <laughs> and then one thing led to another. And then I ended up, he, his house was down the street. And so we walked home to his house and he had a mattress on the floor of his bedroom. I'll never forget that. <laughs> and yeah, I just remember having sex with him for the first time. And I remember him asking me, he definitely asked me for consent. He was like, are you sure you want to do this? He was like, uh, are you scared in any way? Cause he knew I was a virgin. And cause I told him, I said, I've never done this before and I'm kind of scared. And he was like, are you okay to do this? And he was like, and I said, yes, I'm, I'm ready for this. 
And so this was again, junior year of college. And I can't say I like walked out feeling great in the sense, like it was, it wasn't super comfortable. Like it was kind of pleasurable, but at Mm -hmm. the same time, very uncomfortable. So Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that put a bad taste in my mouth, but because I knew it could get better. But I would say my first experience wasn't like amazing. It wasn't like I didn't orgasm. None of that happened. Why do you think you were ready to do it then? What changed for you? I think what changed for me was it was time. Like I no longer was under the roof of my parents. I had a say Mm. in how I treated my body and what I wanted to do with it. I was, I felt aroused as well. And that I think, and also, you know, I had a drink or two, so I was feeling good as well in the mind. And so you put all those things together it's also scary, but it's exciting and really intense when someone kisses you. And like, you also feel desired, like someone wants you Mm -hmm. um, as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was very caring as well, which I really liked. And so all of that combined was like, okay, he seems like a good person. I mean, clearly, like I had a good rapport with him for an entire semester um, going to Mm -hmm. class. So it wasn't like I just met him off the street. It was I built that rapport over time. And I don't know. I just said, yes. I just said, screw it. So that night in the brewery, you uh, were already experiencing symptoms from muscular dystrophy. So let's go back and pick up that piece of the story. Sure. That's so important. I showed signs of muscular dystrophy when I was about four. So I was an infantile onset. So you're born with muscular dystrophy. Symptoms will show up depending on the type of muscular dystrophy and the severity of it. And also genetics play a role in it, um, how the symptoms start showing. So I had an infantile onset of muscular dystrophy at four, because that's what they call it. And then I was diagnosed through blood work when I was eight or nine. And I was a spontaneous genetic mutation, so I don't have any family history of it. And I was the only one in my family to have it. None of my siblings have it either. They're all, uh, all my parents and my brother and sister are very healthy. Through middle school, it was okay. Things, carrying books were heavy and they were difficult for me. So I had an extra set of textbooks in each of my classrooms. So I didn't have to carry them around school. And then in high school, uh, I actually would run a lot and that stopped happening when I was probably 10th grade. Uh, so I stopped running around then just because I couldn't propel my legs forward any longer. And then through high school, walking just got more and more difficult from walking upstairs with using two feet and then slowly just walking up one stair, one step at a time with my right dominant leg and then knee requiring a handrail every time and then avoiding stairs completely, taking ramps everywhere, taking elevators everywhere. And then I I no longer was able to walk long distances any longer. So no longer than 50 feet at a time. So I got handicapped parking when I was probably 16, 17. And then I kept tripping here and there. It wasn't so bad, but I would trip and I would fall downstairs a lot. And it was not fun. (laughs) 
Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality? Do you hear me talk about concepts on this show and think, it makes sense, but I need help applying it to my situation? That's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. Together, we'll look at your needs and desires without judgment and help you figure out how to fulfill them. There's no single answer that's right for everyone. So I'm going to help you discover what's right for you and we'll go at your pace. That's the pace that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and your nervous system. Because going too fast can send you into shutdown, while going too slow can be infuriating. The goal is to find what's right for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like expressing your sexual desires to current or future partners, exploring if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM or consensual non-monogamy, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, exploring sexuality for later in life virgins, and so much more. I want you to have a deeply fulfilling intimate life and together we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your free, no obligation discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. I think it's really, really important to acknowledge the fact that people in our dominant culture, people with disabilities are often seen as asexual or non-sexual. Mm-hmm. And that is not nope. necessarily true for many people. So so let's talk about how this has affected your ability to have sex. And let's first start with that that night on the mattress on the guy's floor. Totally. Um, what was that first experience like of trying to use your body in that way? Yeah. So in regards to that first experience, I do remember knowing that I it was very challenging to prop myself up on my knees because I didn't have the core strength. I could do it if someone held me there, mm. but me physically sitting, you know, if you are sitting on your legs, basically, so you're sitting on your knees and then standing up, I could not do that. So, and I do remember him very clearly going, okay, now get on top. Mm. And I was like, I don't believe I can do this. And he was like, no, let's just try. And then I I tried getting on and it just, it didn't, it was very uncomfortable in the sense of my knees, not like, cause I didn't actually mount him. It, mm-hmm. it was, on, I was on my knees and I, I was in a lot of pain cause it's, it was painful cause I didn't have, I was like hunched over. I felt not confident at all. And he was like, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Just turn over. And so then ended up just like turning over and then did the sides. And so I would say it was very, um, it wasn't like super exciting in that sense, 
But I will say like, you know, that was the limitations and that's, that's just what it was. And there was nothing really that I could do about that. I think over time it's, you've just had to become more creative and how you are able to do certain positions. If you're on the floor, obviously it's very limiting for me because I have no ability to like hover myself or pop myself over the bed um, and be almost like in an L position. Mm -hmm. So like legs on the feet on the floor and then like laying down on the bed, my chest down on the bed. So that is one advantage of having a a proper height bed. (laughs) But if you're on the floor, yeah. And then the other thing is also it's very, if you have a bed that's on the floor, I remember I couldn't get up. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I, I can't stand up and I have to pee. <laughs> and so I remember him like picking me up um, off the floor and then I walked to the bathroom and then his bathroom was so tiny. It was very difficult to get off the toilet. I remember calling him in and say, will you help me get off the toilet? And that, that wasn't embarrassing for me at all. It was something that I, it was just, you know, that's just where I was in my physical ability. And also it's like, you kind of also signed on to that. <laughs> like right. you knew yeah, he went and in knowing <laughs> he went to knowing because I had told him during that semester, like what I had, why I walked a certain way, things of that nature. So you can't say like, it was like a one night stand. He knew nothing about it. Like he, mm-hmm. he, he obviously didn't know what he was fully getting into, but like he had an understanding that, you know, I had some limitations. So what was the next sexual engagement that you had? Next sexual engagement. <laughs> this is actually something I would never in a million years redo this over again. I do not recommend <laughs> this for anyone, especially women. Thinking what I did was really uh, qu- quite scary, actually. So I started working for a company and it was all virtual. So, and I worked for a call center and I met this guy in our work chat room, essentially. Then we started chatting through text message. Again, never picked up the phone and talked to this guy, never FaceTime with him, none of that. And I remember him telling me, I would love to meet you. And I'm like, okay, that sounds great. At the time, you know, a few months had gone by, we had built a virtual rapport with each other. Mm-hmm. And it was very conversational. He was super easy to talk to. And I was like, okay, I kind of vibe with this guy. Like, I would, yeah, sure. I'll go meet him. That was a two hour drive. And he was like, come to Augusta and I can show you around. And I was like, okay, sounds good. Thinking nothing of it. <laughs> and um, so I drove to Augusta to meet a random dude. Don't ever do that. <laughs> Just don't. The dude should come to you. A hundred percent. So a second mistake that I made. But again, I'm so naive and I'm so innocent because I just wasn't taught really about safety Mm. and just thinking that your body was like always at the time you should be protecting your body. But no one really taught me about things that you shouldn't do in relationships or you shouldn't do when you're um, talking to boys. And so I just figured all this stuff out on my own and I took a lot of really stupid risks. So one of them was this. And so then I get over to, and he was like, come to my house again, another mistake, never drive to a boy's house (laughs) that you've never met before two hours away to a city you've never been to. Um, but 
I, I did have a degree of comfort with him. And I remember telling him that stairs were difficult for me and did his house have stairs. And so you, he was really cute in the fact that he took a picture from his, like all of the ramps, all the stairs, like every inch of his house, he took a picture of me and I'm like, okay, that's really nice. Like, okay, I can come. So he reassured me that he would help me at all costs. And I remember he, we had to take a flight of stairs up to get his, to get his house. And he was like, I will carry you up the stairs. Mm. That's fine. Like I'll be there for you. And I'm like, okay, fine. So, you know, I gave into that and because I felt comfortable with him. So I get to his house and I remember it, it was like dinner time at the time. And he was like, I made you dinner. And I'm like, Oh, that's so sweet. And then, and then we, you know, just had a dinner chat, talked about stuff with work, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then he asked me, he was like, is it okay if I kiss you? And then I was like, okay, fine. And so then I remember him being like, let's go to the bedroom. And again, all consensual, mm-hmm. it, every, everything was great upon. But I would say he was very much not my type um, in the sense that uh, he was heavier weight. Not that, you know all bodies come in different shapes and sizes. But for me being very thin and I'm not petite, I'm tall and thin, but I am, I'm weak mm-hmm. in my muscles. So him being a larger guy mm. was a little intimidating for me because I felt like he would squash me. Sure. <laughs> um, but I was like, okay. He was like, it's okay. But I remember it was really good sex. Like really, really good, like very aggressive, like hair pulling, had a lot of orgasms. I remember like feeling things I'd never felt before in my life. Um, But he was also very much like he just wanted to keep going and going and going and going. And so like I was like, okay, I need to take a break. Like I'm I'm literally exhausted. Like I'm so fatigued right now. And he'd be like, no, come on, you can do it. You can do it. Here, drink some water. Like here, eat some food. And so we would eat food and then we would talk a little bit. And then he'd be like, okay, let's do it again. And I'm like, okay. But at the same time, I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, I'm so tired. Um, and I ended up spending the weekend over at his house and it was just like nonstop. I remember leaving that weekend just totally wiped out. Mm. And I remember like almost having not being able to breathe one time because I I just it was pounding so hard and hard and hard and over and over and I just like I couldn't catch my breath um but we had like a safe word a stop word you know I did know about that we ended up going like on a mountain weekend somewhere and it we rented out a hotel and just stayed there and it was again just like oh like every other hour it was like again and again and again But I remember the second time that I met up with him, I was like, I'm just like very not attracted to you. Hmm. And so that's when it kind of dawned on me that it's not just a physical experience, that you really have to be attracted, physically attracted to someone. Mm -hmm. And you also have to have like some sort of like emotional connection with someone as well. And maybe that's the female brain talking. That's probably what it is, but... I just remember the second time that mountain weekend that we had, it was like, I'm just really not into it. So you said that it was really great sex. Mm-hmm. What what about it was great? What were the things that you were doing that you really enjoyed? I remember 
So his bed was a normal height and <laughs> that's important. So I remember face down, so feet on ground. Um, and this was the first time that I did this and I remember it feeling really, really good. And it's still to this day, my favorite position of feet on ground. Um, and then me laying down on my belly on the bed and he's mm -hmm. hitting me from behind. And I just remember like how deep he went and he was, he was pretty big and it just felt so good. And I just would drip and it was very, it felt really good. And, and then at the same time he was doing that, he would pull my hair and pull it back and my head back. And it would also increase the pain and he would choke me lightly, not like, Mm -hmm. Not like in a bad way, but it just, it felt really, really good. You enjoy a little aggressive play. Oh yeah, I way more vibe with that. And it's interesting because, you know, the, the guy that I just dated last year, he was so against that. You know, mm -hmm. he was very much like a very like sensual, very like romantic type of pleasure, pleaser, pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> and... That was an experience in itself. Like it was good to experience that because he could finger really, really, really he's the best person I've ever, he's ever fingered me. But at the same time, I like my hair pulled. I like to be choked. I mm -hmm. like more of the aggressive. And I remember matching with this guy on Bumble or mm -hmm. Tinder or something. <laughs> and we had our first date you know, a few weeks later, and I was very attracted to him. I mean, he was a very attractive person. He was shorter than me. So I'm 5'11". He was probably 5'8". There was a lot of ego with him with that, like a lot of um, self-confidence issues mm -hmm. of a shorter guy dating a taller woman. At the time, I was standing as well. So I wasn't mm -hmm. using a wheelchair. He was shorter than me, but he was packing. That's for sure. And, <laughs> but he, he wasn't like super aggressive. Okay. Either. And so he was a little bit more of like, kind of like slow, like more sensual. I texted him and I was like, you know, I need you to be more aggressive in sex. Like I need you to be more this and that. And he was like, I don't need, you don't need me to do anything. Like you have your own issues that you need to sort through. And, and so then it ended and it actually ended up pretty badly. So that sounds sort of like he's kink shaming you. Like kind he's of. saying, if you want this aggression, then there's something wrong with you and you need to heal yourself. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't put it as like, yeah, I would say that's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> so just as a like little PSA for everybody, just because you like some aggression, just because you like your hair being pulled or you like to be choked does not mean that there is something inherently wrong with you that mm -hmm. needs some deep psychological healing. <laughs> it's okay to like those things. Well, thank um, you. <laughs> breath play is a little bit edgy and I want to make sure that you have some safety protocols in place in case anything goes sideways. Right. But there's nothing wrong with you if you want that. Yeah. And so I think that was the other thing. It's like I was in pursuit of finding someone who could be more aggressive with me, kind of yeah. like how I did with the work guy. But again, that work guy was just a very casual relationship. Mm -hmm. um, we weren't dating. I was not romantically attracted to him. I was literally attracted to him for sex. 
Um, or like to feel desired and like to have my hair pulled and like being choked, like that felt good. Yeah. And also learned a lot of things along the way in terms of like safety. I got back on the dating app and I come across this dude. I remember we had a taco date and he drove to where I was because I also had told him again that I had muscular dystrophy and like my limitations things. He was like, okay, I'll come to you. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting across the booth from him that we were sitting in. And I like to, like, when I'm having a conversation with someone at a table, I'll usually, like, lean forward. And, like, I like to, I like to put my elbows on the table and I like to lean forward on them. It's just comfortable for me. And so I would lean forward often. And I remember him telling me, he was like, I really like how you lean forward as if you're like really engaged in what I have mm-hmm. to say. And just he would drop these one-liners that were just like, you're a bad boy and I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> like you, he just like had this like sinister, mm, I don't know, something about him. He was very keen and like the way he looked at me, I was like, oof, wow, okay, interesting. And so I naturally started biting my lip because I'm getting enticed by the way he's looking at me. And he ended up replying back right there. And when he was right there, he was like, stop biting your lip. And I was like, why not? He was like, (laughs) see, I hate this photographic memory. (laughs) Dang it. (laughs) I just, I don't, I don't forget these kinds of things. And, um, yeah, he was like, stop biting your lip. And I said, why not? He was like, you don't know what I would do to you. Hmm. I was like, oh, okay, daddy, you're talking my language. (laughs) And so I was very intrigued. And um, I I had to use the bathroom before we left. And I said, wait here. I'm just going to use the bathroom. I'll be right back. And he heard something the way I said it, whatever. He was like, okay, I'll I'll leave. Bye. But I didn't know he was leaving. And so he ended up just like leaving. Because it was just a miscommunication of like, wait here. And I remember getting in the car and I was like, wait, where did you go? I texted, I called him and I was like, wait, where'd you go? He was like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I thought you said, I thought you said leave. And I told him, I said, well, I wanted to kiss you before I left. And he was like, I'm, he was like, I'm turning around. <laughs> 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 and so he, he was pretty far off because um, it, it does take me a little bit of at the time I was standing walking but really 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 struggling um, and so it took me a while to you know pick myself off from the toilet and like pull my pants up and like button them because my hands started getting worn so it, it can take me you know 10 minutes to use the restroom not because you know I have trouble using the bathroom but just like yeah doing all those things with your jeans and stuff can be difficult um, so he was pretty far off. So we met in the middle and I remember we were in that Whole Foods parking lot out in the random far, far part of the parking lot. And I rolled down my window and he gets out and he kisses me very well and like bites the lip, pulls back. <laughs> I was like, oof. And that night couldn't get together or whatever. And then I remember him saying, come to my house. And I drove, you know, 30 minutes to his house. 
And that night, he had done things to me that I had never felt in my life. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> Again, all consensual, but yeah. he was BDSM. Did I say that right? Yeah. BDSM. So he, and that, that over time, so it wasn't immediately. It was, okay, are you okay? He was very, very pro asking. Mm -hmm. He was like, and he would tell me as well. He, he would say, are you okay if I do this? And I would say, that yes. is the sign of a good dom. Very dom, very dom. And I played that sub role. And at the time I didn't know what that was. But that whole communication and consent thing, I think people have an idea that that stuff goes out the window because the dom just takes over. Mm -hmm. That is not the case. Mm -hmm. The dom is responsible so. for communicating and for getting consent. Oh, yeah. And that's part of what can make it super hot is that you have enough communication that you feel safe and can let go. Yeah. I get so many messages from listeners saying, thank you for the show. I've listened to the whole back catalog and it's helped me completely transform my sex life. Are you one of those people? If so, I'd love to have your support so I can keep growing this show and bringing a new vision of sexuality to the world. If you haven't done it yet, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. I know the podcast industry does not make reviewing a show easy. So go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash good girls, and it should lead you through the process of posting a review. I'd love to get 100 reviews by the end of the year, and I could use your help. And if you have the financial resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be so grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. And... I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are now either illegal or heavily legislated. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And speaking of Patreon... There is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free for everyone to listen to. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access it. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a contributor, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. If you're on a dating app now, do you specify that you're looking for someone who will be a dom with you? Or do you wait and bring that in later? I will say, so to answer your question directly, no, I do not specify any of that 
um, in a dating app whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, I usually will ask to meet someone immediately. Also, I'm not on dating apps anymore. I've just found they are really challenging. Now for me in general, I would say using a wheelchair now is very challenging for me to find someone just in general. It's difficult. Guys don't really approach me at all. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that is probably the worst part about using a wheelchair is, and just having a, a, a very noticeable physical disability people generally kind of just want to get out of your way. Mm. It helps if <laughs> there's alcohol involved. And, <laughs> but meeting people naturally out in the wild for me is is difficult. It, it helps if I have someone with me, like my sister or one of my best guy friends. But even that sometimes is like a cock block, right? If, if you have mm -hmm. a dude with you who's gay, <laughs> he doesn't look gay. Um, yeah. But sometimes people think that you're with him. But um, so, yeah, I would say that's that's probably the saddest experience is, you know, I'm such a great human being and I do all these things and I'm very well known in the community. Um, actually been in a lot of newspapers and stuff, um, a lot of news channels. I'm very much an, a disability advocate. Mm -hmm. So I do a lot for the city, for the world to make it a more inclusive space and to break down those barriers for people with disabilities. And yet at the same time, I see all these people around me and it's kind of sad, right? When you're out and you see people holding hands or like you see all these, all my friends are starting to get engaged. They're having kids. Yeah. And like, for me, I'm just like, I've had one and a half boyfriends. <laughs> I'm very confident in who I am, but it's also very intimidating for people especially guys, because I'm a very independent person and mm -hmm. I'm very confident and I'm very much a go-getter. I'm an Aries. So I am always getting it done. Like fix this, do that. There's a problem, find a solution. I don't dwell on things. I don't. Yeah. And so through that, not only like having a disability, but also being like a very independent, confident woman, that also kind of just as a whole mixture, not to say that there's anything wrong with that. And like, you shouldn't be a confident woman, but it just adds to the difficulty of finding someone mm -hmm. who is worthy of you. Because then on the end of the other end of the spectrum, you have all of these boys that approach you that are, I would say all these men that approach me that are very low in their self-confidence. Mm -hmm. And so I gravitated for a long time for low self-esteem men because I thought I could fix them because I mm. fix everything else in my environment. And so I could fix men. No, you cannot fix people and don't even sure. try. You need to walk away because yeah. your dignity and your own self-confidence and your worthiness will be compromised because of that. Well, Candy, thank you so much for this conversation. I'm really grateful to you for being so open and willing to walk us through this experience you're having. Thank you, Leah. After we finished recording, I realized there was one really important question I hadn't asked Candy. So I sent her an email asking, as your condition has progressed, how has it affected the sexual sensation you're able to have? 
Does it affect your ability to feel people touching your skin or to feel vaginal penetration? She sent me back this audio message in response. It's funny because I actually get asked that question a lot, especially right before. And guys will ask me, can you feel or do you have any pain or does it hurt if I touch you or is it, you know, do do you lose sensation at all? And no, the type of disability that I have, I'm not affected in my nerve endings or my nerves in any way, shape or form, which is nice. So I can definitely feel everything that's going on. So I'm thankful to have no issues in that department. That's it for today. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As a sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. If you have questions or comments about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Full show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. And you can follow me at goodgirlstalk on the socials for more sex positive content. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. While listening to this show is free, producing it is not. If my work is meaningful to you and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I'll gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Good girls talk about sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. <laughs>